my Aunt Judy was telling me that the verse that she has my name written by is John 1, 4. And that says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overwhelm it. And, of course, that's Jesus' light, and she thinks it shines in me, and so that's where she has my name in her Bible. One of my favorite lines in an awesome song that we sing is, do you know that all the dark can't stop the light from getting through? And then everybody says, we do. So I, I love that, that song. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about my family. So as, we, as I talk, you know who I'm talking about. So my husband Jerry and I have four grown children. <laughs> Katie is our oldest, and she lives in Kansas with her husband Josh and our grandson Ethan and our granddaughter, Arielle, who's six. All our grandchildren are in this picture over here. So Ethan is now 19, and he is not living in Kansas anymore. He is in the Bay Area in San Francisco doing a Francis Chan ministry called 100 Cities. And I mean, he's working a job, but he's walking up to people and asking them how he can pray for them. And he's on Berkeley's campus and downtown San Francisco. So it's very exciting. So we're really just amazed. And I'll talk a little more about his story. Um, and then Adam, our son, is in Clearwater, Florida, with his wife, Allie. No, no kids, three dogs that we love very, very much. Um, Judy, our daughter, lives in the Chicago suburbs, um, St. Charles. Her husband, Joe, and she have Luca. And I think many of you guys prayed for Luca last year. He was in the NICU for 70 days. He was born early. And he is in this picture. He is the one on the left, Kristen. So he is the one on the right with red hair. We're not 100% sure where that came from. <laughs> but he's got it. <laughs> And then Kristen, our youngest daughter, who everyone in the family refers to as Babe, is here in town. She and her husband, Philip, have Sybil and Gaius. So I guess Gaius is the one on the left, and Sybil is the little cutie that Jerry's holding. Yeah. So that, that is our family. My mom is, is still living. She lives in Holland, Michigan with my stepdad, and my father is still living too. So that's kind of a rundown of our family. So first, I want to just start by telling you one of the really fun miracles. When I, when I realized that I was going to be the one sharing the, tonight, I, the first thing I said was, well, I'm going to talk about the stained glass nativity. And everybody in my family was like, uh, what's that about? Because <laughs> they don't remember. And I don't understand why, but anyway. It was in the mid-90s, and there was a store in town then called Apple Tree Gallery where different people who did crafts put their crafts. And it was right before Christmas. My friend Karen and I were at the store. And Karen, I, her name in my phone is Personal Shopper because 
She knows what I like and she shows me when we're shopping. Well, she showed me this stained glass nativity and it was beautiful and I was so excited about it. I could feel kind of what the people looked like and if I put it in the, the shine it up to the light, I could kind of see the color. I just brought part of it. I brought the cow and Mary and Jesus and, and Joseph. But anyway, it was 160 bucks. And my, you know, we were broke. We just bought Christmas for everybody and didn't have a cent. So I really wanted it. I wanted to write a bad check for it, but I didn't. <laughs> so I went home and Jerry said, um, there's an envelope there for Mary and Judy. So I opened it and it had this beautiful stocking in it with the angel on it. And inside, I felt like there was something inside. There was 16 $10 bills in there. No. $16 $10 bills. So wow. Jerry went and got me the nativity. And I called my Aunt Judy and I said, you know, thank you so much, but that's kind of a weird number. Why, why did you send me 16 $10 bills? And she said, well, she had, um, she was going to send me $200, but she found that, that um, angel stocking and she bought that and it was 40 so she, <laughs> so that's how I got $160. And I mean, honestly, I just think God is such a personal God and he, he knew that that was the desire of my heart and he gave it to me and it is, it's a treasure to me. And, you know, if my other children listen to this, maybe they'll remember. I know I've told the story on video. I, anyway, maybe they'll remember. <laughs> I don't know. So the first miracle that happened in my life was that I'm here at all. Because when my mother went away to college, she was a preacher's kid. She went away to college. She met this guy who was a couple years older than her on the football team, and she was in love. And so that was in early August, and by late September, she realized she was pregnant. So she told my dad, and he said, well, listen, I have a place where you can go, and they can take care of that. I'll pay for it. I'll take you. It'll be fine. And my mom's like, mm, I'm too scared. So he said, okay, we'll get married then. So they went to my grandparents who live up near Chicago and said, we're getting married. We're in love, so we're getting married today. <laughs> so can you do the wedding? Because my grandpa was a pastor. So they put, pulled together this wedding at about lunchtime, my dad called his mother, who lives a couple hours south from um, where they lived, and said, uh, Mom, I'm getting married tonight. So can you and dad come? And she, she told the principal she needed the afternoon off. She was a third grade teacher. And she went home and got my grandpa, and they made it to the wedding. So um, I was born um, several months later. Anyway, um, at my one-month checkup, 
my uh, mom and grandma had taken me, and the doctor walked in and said, has she smiled yet? And they said, mm, I don't think so. And so he left the room, came back a few minutes later with another doctor and some real bright lights, and said, she has cataracts on her eyes. So it was 1962, and they had no idea what to do with a baby with cataracts. They you know, had just started figuring out what to do with older people with cataracts. And um, so at age two and a half, I had my first surgery, and they tried to remove the cataracts. But they didn't let my mom stay with me overnight, and I cried all night and messed up everything they had done. So the, the next several years um, were full of going to doctors in, in Chicago. And by the time I was five, I had 16 operations. They had gotten the cataracts off, but um, the, I had been left with glaucoma as a result of whatever they did. And so I was, I was legally blind. My left eye had more sight than my right eye. So I could still see, um, but not great. So by that time we lived in Valparaiso and my parents fought to get me in um, you know, regular, regular school. And um, they fought to get me into regular school. So they didn't want me to, they, they had been recommended that they have me go to a blind school, but they didn't, they didn't want that. So um, I, I went to kindergarten and they had a parent-teacher conference with my parents and told, the kindergarten teacher told my parents that I was faking and I really could see. <laughs> so, so there were many fun experiences with going to regular school, but all through that time, um, going to doctors in downtown Chicago, having surgeries, my, my mom's parents, my grandma and grandpa writer, would always take us down there. And these doctors, they were not used to be working on a little girl. They had, you know, a bunch of people like I am now that they worked on. And so they were mad at me and they wanted me to hold still and I wouldn't hold still and I, they'd yell at me. And so after, after, after we'd get done at the doctors and usually find out, oh, we needed to do another surgery, um, grandpa would take us to Marshall Fields for a big, huge hot fudge sundae. <laughs> and my grandpa is the one who, who gave me a love for music. I remember going to musicals in downtown Chicago, Fiddler on the Roof and Oliver and Annie. He just, he loved music, he loved to sing and he had a beautiful voice. And he decided that I had a beautiful singing voice. And so every time we would be up there over a Sunday, I ended up being the special music. And I can just imagine all the people at the church are like, oh my gosh, not this again. <laughs> this kid is back. But anyway, that I, I just, to this day, you know, I have a song for everything. You know, if I'm in conversation with somebody, it'll remind me of a song. And I, I like to sing. I'm, when Kristen's um, oldest was a baby, 
I had this whole lineup of songs that I would sing to her for her to fall asleep. And usually by the third or fourth song, she was passed out. <laughs> it doesn't work as well on Gaius. He's, he's not as easy to get to sleep. After, when we moved, when I was in fourth grade, we moved here to Lafayette, to West Lafayette. And um, my mom, because of the way that my dad was, he, he put her through a lot of hell in their marriage. Um, so moving here was not, she had some friends in Belpo, she didn't want to move here. But God had a plan, and the first Sunday we were here, we came to Covenant, and this was in the early 70s. And my, my grandpa and grandma were with us. My grandpa filled out a card saying that we needed a visit. <laughs> so that week, we got a visit. And I believe it was, it was Shirley Sims was one of the people. And then um, I don't remember who the men were. But anyway, they talked to my mom about becoming a Christian and about Jesus and what he was doing here at Covenant. And she just, you know, she heard it. She, she was a pastor's kid, but she never had a personal relationship with Jesus. It was always, you know, just that's what my parents say. And so she accepted Jesus and told me about it. And I accepted Jesus. So the time that we were in West Lafayette was a really growing time, a beautiful time. My mom was involved with the Navigators. They mentored her and, you know, lifelong friends um, were established. And um, so when my dad announced um, in eighth grade that it, we were going to move to Bloomington, Illinois, we were not thrilled at all. It was, it was not good news. So, um, but we moved and um, I was starting high school and I went to University High School, which is like a lab school for Illinois State. So they had what they called the resource room where people with disabilities, there were, you know, there were deaf, there were blind, there were um, people in real wheelchairs with cerebral palsy. Um, so that was kind of my homeroom, and then I was in regular classes. Well, because of that, right away there was a, a stigma to all of us. And in fact, in my freshman year, this is, this is awful, there were some boys who thought they would be funny, and they put out a newspaper called The Daily Tard, and it, it talked about each one of us and kind of made fun of us. Well, they had to come in and apologize. They got caught, and um, but it set the precedent. So my, my high school years, as far as friends at school and stuff, were not great. And I had had wonderful friends here at Westside. Um, in fact, when they have class reunions, I usually get invited, even though I left in eighth grade. <laughs> But anyway, so God provided through one of the other um, guys who had a um, visual impairment, um, he provided a youth group. And it wasn't at the church that my mom attended, but 
and she really wanted me to go to that youth group. But those people weren't nice, and I loved this other youth group. And there was this really wonderful guy there named Jerry. <laughs> and I, I had a different boyfriend. He had a different girlfriend. But I was bound and determined that he was going to be my boyfriend. <laughs> and so I was a freshman, and he had graduated high school. He was four years older than me. So my parents weren't that very thrilled with that idea, but he, he won them over because he's, he's wonderful. Even though he would drive around in his old car, it was an old Ford that the F and the R had fall, fallen off, so it was just odd. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he had some kind of a speaker on it, and he would drive around and like talk to people and burp and do all these crazy things. I guess that's why I loved him. <laughs> But he has, he has his own stories to tell, and God brought us together, but man, he, he had a horrible childhood, a lot of abuse and pain. He was one of seven. His parents were alcoholics. His dad died of AIDS. I mean, it just was not good. And, um, you know, he, he came to the relationship with those wounds. He, he decided... There was another girl named Fern, and he really liked Fern, too, and he knew that she knew how to cook and sew, but he thought I was fun to be with. <laughs> so, so the fun to be with part won out. <laughs> anyway, we were married at, I was only 18, but we, and I was trying to keep that from my kids for the longest time, but <laughs> they found out, and they are all married. Um, Jerry, when Jerry and I got married, he was a Bloomington police officer, and um, we had Katie and Adam over in Bloomington, and when they were toddlers still, um, one of the other officers, he had been, Jerry had been an officer for about seven years, one of the other officers um, was shot that he was good friends with, drove back and forth to work with, um, and he, was, he died. And this guy, Bill, he had, he had little ones the same age as ours. And we just, we just were so disturbed. I mean, we knew that God was in control, and no matter what, he would, he would do what he would do. But... Jerry just had lost his heart for police work after that. And so we changed plans and we moved over back here. And he started working at a company over here. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was a big move for us, but we, um, we felt that that's where God was leading us. Um, so, when we moved back to West Lafayette, we had two little ones, and we weren't planning on having any more kids, but God had a different plan, and he surprised us with Judy first and then Kristen, so, and our family was very full. Um, so between, between Judy, between Adam and Judy, there was about a six-year stint. And um, in that time, um, I had a 
routine glaucoma surgery on my eye that I could see best out of. And they determined about a month later that during that surgery my retina had detached. And they only, I mean, we flew to, to Florida, we flew somewhere else for an, second opinions, and they, they felt like there was only about a 1% chance that they'd be able to even fix that retina because of all the scar tissue in my eye. So, so it was time to figure out how to function with just this right eye with just a little bit of sight. So really all I can see is, is light. Um, if I'm in familiar areas, I'm, I'm good, and that's why people think that I can see when I can't, but you put me in an unfamiliar area and you'll be, you'll be very sure that I can't see. Um, so having Judy and Kristen after losing my eyesight in the good eye was, was different, but God, God pulled us through that, and I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about one daily miracle. I mean, miracles were happening all the time. because. I mean, there were many days when I wasn't sure how I could handle things. Jerry was at work, and anyway, God, God protected them, and they're all still alive. <laughs> but one of the things our family did was um, Johnny Erickson Tata has a thing called Family Retreat for families with disabilities. They go to a place. There's several of them around the country, and I, they're still happening. But we took our four kids up to Wisconsin one year, um, and that was where I learned the amazing, awesome fact that my disability wasn't a punishment, it wasn't because I did something bad, but it is a gift from God so that He can be glorified through me. And, you know, I'd heard those words before I'd, a, a bunch of times but it never sunk into my heart until that, that year, you know, sitting with, with Johnny and all those others with, with disabilities. Um, it, that's, that's when it sunk in. So a couple years later, I was, the kids were all in school and it was time for me to find a job. And I worked at Purdue at a temporary job at, in the lab where they prepared things for blind students at Purdue. And that was good, but that was just temporary. And I applied for so many different jobs at Purdue. I talked to them in human resources, and I kept getting the same story. We just think you would be great, but this job is not the right one for you. We really, we really think you got, you got a lot going for you, but not in this job. And I, I just kept hearing that over and over. So um, I got a call over Christmas from Rob Iman one year asking if I would fill in for women's ministries while Judy Miles was on sabbatical. So I did that, and she came back in the summer, and the receptionist was leaving at Covenant. She was getting married, and she was leaving, and they were going to open up that position. And I really thought that I would be great for that position. So I had my interview, and there was a couple other people they interviewed, and you know I kept you know checking in to see what the deal was. Well, then I heard through the grapevine that they were going to hire a temporary person because they weren't sure what to do. 
So I called Dick Firetog, who was the director of ministries before Andrew, and I said, why don't you let me be your temporary person? I will be the temporary person, and then if you decide I can't do the job, then I'll leave. I'll go away. I'll still come here to church. I won't be mad. I just, just let me try. It'd be a lot easier than getting a temp. So he was like, okay. <laughs> so I started on July 1st in 2000, and Ashley, who is the departing receptionist, trained me. I mean, she did a great job. She was just a young girl getting married, and she was so wonderful, and she thought of everything, and she really, really helped me. So she left in August, and it was about mid-September. Dick called me into his office, and I was like, oh, boy, this is it. I guess, I guess they're not happy. So he closes the door and sits down at his desk, folds his hands, and says, I owe you an apology. I truly did not think that you could do this job, and you have showed me that you can do it. <laughs> so, yay! <laughs> so here I am, 22 years later. <laughs> but they keep they keep changing things. You know, sometimes I'm under somebody, and sometimes I'm under somebody else. And right now I'm working with Brentley, and I love it. And um, so I just, I feel like God put me here. So um, I could tell you many stories about the miracles that God did through my kids. And I'm just picking one because there's, there's many, many. But I want to talk to you about my oldest daughter, Katie. When she was 19, she came to Jerry and I and told us she was pregnant. She had graduated from high school, um, and she was not sure who the father was of the baby, but she, she didn't think she wanted to have an abortion. So we started helping her um, look for alternatives of adoption, um, and it just so happened, by the grace of God, that Paul Tripp was coming to Covenant to speak. And he um, was willing to meet with us after church. We went down to one of the counseling rooms and sat with him. And he, he had adopted two children. And so he was like t telling us all the great things about adoption and how how it was an act of love and you know he just was really saying it was really a good thing that she should definitely consider and do so he he said i'm going to go on to my own my next thing and you guys you know stay here and talk so he left and the three of us were crying and we we all three had the same feeling that no, she should keep this baby. We could not stand the idea of someone else being that baby's family. And it was so strong in all of us that we knew that it had to come from God. So she had Ethan and Ethan is not only was he 
raised with a lot of love from his aunt and uncle on our side of the family, aunts and uncle. Um, his dad's family embraced him, and they are a wonderful family with lots, lots of siblings. He never really had a relationship with his dad, and his dad has passed away from a drug overdose. But Ethan has that connection with his family, and I, I told you what he's doing now. He's, he is ministering, and it's so exciting. So when he was 12, that's when Katie met Josh and they were gonna to move to Kansas. Well, Katie had gone through some different stages where she was really mad at her dad and she worked through that, and then she was really mad at me. And so she said, we need to go to counseling before I move or we're just never gonna get this worked out. I'm like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so we started going to counseling a couple months before she moved. And um, we were counseling with Kimberly Knockle, and I know some of you know her. She, I mean, God put her, she, I don't know what our family would have done without her. She, she helped piece us back together in so many ways through prayer and Jesus. And so Katie and I were talking to her, and Katie just said, my mom is just a fake, and I am just I, I just, I can't stand her. She's so fake to everybody, and it's not real. And she's just, she's not a good person. And Kimberly said, we were going to start praying the verse in Ezekiel, and I should have looked it up, maybe some of you know, the one that says, God, God will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And she asked me to start praying that and she would pray with me so I got all my coffee ladies to start praying I got probably some of you in this room to start praying and we prayed and prayed and God did it I mean she thought I was just dirt and now our relationship has been restored she is she is kind and thoughtful to me she treats me the way Kristen treats me. <laughs> and it, it was only something God could do because she, she was so far thinking I was such a loser. So that, that was a huge miracle that God did. Um, he, the restoration was, was beautiful. So... Miracles sometimes happen in the, in the blink of an eye. They sometimes happen over months or years. And I know we're all still waiting to see what God is going to do in many situations. I mean, even in my own family, we have been praying for my brother for 40 years. And I can, you know, list three or four other situations in our family, we may never see the fruition of our prayers. We'll have to wait till heaven, maybe. I don't know. But God is working. He's weaving this gold thread through all the darkness. And we just, we just have to trust him and keep, keep our eyes opened for the miracles that, that, 
that are around because they are. And I mean, I'm telling you, every day miracles happen. So I'm going to tell you about a miracle that happened last Friday. And this is the kind of miracles I'm talking about. Um, we kind of had decided that I should not stay alone with Sybil and Gaius right now because Sybil is, is talking but not clearly and Gaius is just like <laughs> So I just, I can do one but not both. But last Friday the circumstances were, were that Gaius was gonna lay down for a nap pretty soon after Kristen left and Jerry was out of town so he couldn't help me and so we thought this'll be fine, it'll be fine. So Kristen left and they have a wonderful playroom downstairs that's totally safe. Guy starts screaming and I'm just like, what's going on? Well, she had zipped him into the tent. So that, that was averted. But the problem started when it was time to go upstairs to feed Gaius and get him down for his nap. And Sybil decided she needed to go potty. So she went potty, he's crawling around. I'm trying to keep him out of the potty. And <laughs> so I pick up the potty to dump it. I dump it in. Sybil starts crying hysterically. I mean, just unconsolable. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out if she's hurt because she had hurt her mouth a couple weeks ago. And so I, I don't know what's going on. And I thought, okay, is there a toy in there? Should I feel in there and see if there's a toy? <laughs> well, then she flushed it. So I'm like, well, okay. So I get the bottle for the baby, we feed the baby, we go up to his room. She's sitting in the chair kind of looking at a book and going, <gasps> and I still, I still don't know what's wrong. So changing Gaius, he is just wiggling all over the place because he's, he's just about one and he's, that's what he does. So you know how, I don't know if you know, but the diapers now, they have these like things that you kind of pull out so it kind of keeps everything in there. So I'm working on doing that, and I think I lost a fingernail. And I feel, and it's gone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's in his diaper. So, and, and I, you know, I'm picturing, okay, he's going to lay down for his nap. It's going to work its way out. He's going to choke on it, and it's going to die from, uh, so... I'm like, Jesus, I have to find the nail. <laughs> so I feel around in the diaper, and oh, thank you, Jesus. I found it, shoved it in my pocket, got him down for his nap. Sybil was calmed down. We made it through. But I mean, I totally say Jesus did that. I mean, I'm trying to tell you, it's not, you know, like the, any big, huge things. It's, it's miracles every, every day, every minute. And you just have to look for them. One of my favorite songs, and you know, I like songs. Um, and if you get an email from me, it has the tagline at the bottom, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. And that that is my theme song. and. It's only because I know he holds the future and I can trust him with 
all the all the trouble I get into on a daily basis. <laughs> so I haven't heard my alarm go off yet. Kristen was going to set the alarm. Okay. So I wanted to end with this Hans Christian Andersen quote, and maybe some of you have seen it on Facebook. And I have to read it so I get it right. And I'm a slow braille reader. Okay. The whole world is full of a series of miracles, but we miss them because we think they're just ordinary things. And that's Hans Christian Andersen. Thank you so much for coming. I know it's really, really busy this time of year.